Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Stack Waddy game. Um, and I, it occurred to me this this week when I, I found myself reading a story uh, headlined Angry Octopus. I don't know if you saw this. No. Uh, some <laughs> octopus took exception to some zoological chap filming it from a oh, right. And yeah. pretty much came out of the water and, uh, and offered him outside. You know yeah. what I mean? And so Angry Octopus, I thought, surely there's got to be a band called Angry Octopus. And sure enough, there is a band called Angry Octopus. They're a hard rock group. They come from New Hampshire. And I thought, well, how interesting. How many things are I use the word angry in their description? Okay. So I, I've got I've got a load of a load of uh, names here of, of kind of entertainment phenomena that have got the word angry at the beginning. Have you got to tell me if they're groups or there's something else? Okay. Okay. Oh, right. So some uh, of these are pop groups, right? Some, okay. I so love the we... idea, incidentally, of an octopus coming out of the water and having eight shots at once. Yes. <laughs> That's good. You, you've got a distinct advantage, haven't you? Absolutely. <laughs> Go on. Okay. okay. Angry salad. What do you think? Pop group or aggressive uh, vegetarian no, I'm accompaniment? Saying... Okay, I'm saying that's an aggressive vegetarian accompaniment because it's got kind of um, kind of raw red pepper in it or chilli powder or something, is it? No, you'd be wrong. They're uh, angry salad that continue the city of Boston's tradition of radio-friendly <laughs> collegiate rock uh, via Rhode Island. Okay, we're moving on. Okay, the angry beavers. Angry beavers. Angry is beavers. that uh, is that an edgy alternative rock group or is that a children's cartoon? Angry beavers. What oh, do you say? Oh lord! It Ang- sounds like a cartoon, doesn't it? I can just I can see them. It is. It's an American them. animated it's- television series created by Mitch Snow for Nickelodeon. It revolves around Daggett and Norbert Beaver, two young beaver brothers who have moved out of their parents' home to become bachelors in the forest near the f- fictional way out of town, Oregon. Okay. Fantastic. It, no. it, it says a lot for the word angry, doesn't it? Because the word angry promises some kind of action, doesn't it? Absolutely. And some kind of uh, some kind of grievance that needs explaining. Okay. Carry on. Yeah, go on. Angry Samoans. 
angry Samoans. Well, that's a band name. It's a very boring one, isn't it? So, oh, I don't know. But then what would it be if it wasn't a band name? It is a band band name. Uh, Formed in Van Nuys, uh, California in the summer of 1978. The band was founded by singers and guitarists Metal Mike Saunders and Greg Turner, a pair of erstwhile rock critics. Wouldn't you just know Wouldn't you just credit that? That's fantastic. Metal Metal Mike. Okay. Angry Penguins. What do you think? Angry Penguins. That, again, which surely we're back in the world of children's television, aren't we? This is an entertainment thing, an angry penguin. Because there's angry birds, isn't it? There's the famous yeah, angry birds. birds. There you yeah, go. Yeah, so I would have thought that uh, angry birds, which incidentally, my my mother-in-law, aged 93, used to play on her laptop. <laughs> <laughs> we all used to wander in occasionally and tell her to turn the volume down. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those wonderful kind of um, absolutely yeah. fabulous like so reversals of roles. I know, I know, I know. Grant, please turn that down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Angry Penguins. Okay. It's an art and literary journal founded in 1940 uh, by surrealist poet Max Harris. Oh, okay. uh, so there you go. Uh, I'm going to give you one more. Angry amputees, angry amputees, rock group or uh, disability rights campaigners? They must be disability rights campaigners because it would be, I think that would be quite a challenging name for a band, wouldn't it? I don't know. Well, it is. Unless the band comprised of of, uh, people with disabilities. Maybe that's it. Which it does. Ah, there we are. Okay. Uh, Comes from San Francisco, Angry Amputees, formed in 2001. Uh, by vocalist, guitarist Stacey D, and uh, bassist vocalist John Dalton, a.k.a. Dalty, an actual amputee. Uh, Very good. That's, Dave, that's brilliant. So there you go. I'm a bit behind schedule. I haven't managed to get a, 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 a stack waddy together, I'm afraid. It's, so it's I'm, all right. I, yeah, I'm we've having had, a week off. We've had a busy week, haven't we? We've been talking to all sorts of people. Yeah, and, we have. Uh, and which has uh, which caused me to think about all kinds of things. And, Gary Kemp, uh, particularly good, I thought. Was Gary Kemp. Oh, I love Gary Kemp. Gary Kemp, he of the Spandau Ballet. What a man. So many theories. So Absolutely. much to say and such a brilliantly clear way of expressing himself. I was really impressed with these fans. Which actually, could, we, could, we could move on to now, actually. One of the things we talked about, which was uh, a, a continuation of a conversation we've had on the podcast in recent weeks, about bands, have they gone away, or you know, uh, have they been replaced by a couple of mates, you know, w- with electronic keyboards and and so forth? Yeah, yeah. And we put this to him, and he said, "Well, they probably have gone away because they've gone away with a sense of place, haven't they?" Yeah. Which was, which is frankly, that's quite a deep thing for a musician to say, isn't it? Is. You don't it is. normally get that kind of <laughs> terrifyingly <way>. perceptive. <laughs> and you yeah. thought, oh my god, I'm gonna have to. Gonna have to step up to the mark here, um, and uh, that you know, in the old days, you used to, it was all about venues and clubs and gathering your mates, and you had to go yeah. somewhere to be with your mates. Whereas nowadays, you you know, you're with your mates in all kinds of in all kinds of other places. But um, but the the other thing I was I'm thinking further to the question of of bands this week is I caught a really interesting podcast. With a chat interview with a bloke called Robin Blackburn, who's an evolutionary psychologist. Okay. Okay. And he's a really interesting guy. And his theory is you only have 150 people in your kind of social circle, in your you know, family, work, friends, 
There's 150 people. I've heard that before. That That's meant to be the limit to which you can yeah. have any kind of reasonably deep relationship with. Absolutely. Yeah. Any kind of meaningful social yeah. relationship in the yeah. sense that you would you would call on them if you had a problem, you know, yeah. one way or another. And, they, and you would expect that they would reciprocate and you'd do the same for them. But he was really interesting talking about the whole nature of people doing things together which, of course, at the moment, you know, we've had a year of this is how we do things together yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. a very, Absolutely. very different way. And there's all kind of talk about will people come back together? Will they want to go back to work? Will they want to go to gigs and so forth? And he was uh, he's really interesting in all this because he said that the experience of doing things together and one of the live experiences they talked about was music, playing music together. He said it releases chemicals. I'm sure it does. In the human body that make you feel better while you're doing something together. I'm sure it does. And uh, what is what they say about choirs, isn't it? I suppose know, like so. singing, I mean, there's been a huge uptake of people singing, joining kind of online choirs. And even though you're on your own in your house, probably with your other half hearing this disembodied voice singing an ABBA chorus, you are part of this gang. And it apparently makes people feel fantastically high, you know, fired up. This is it. It's kind of non-addictive. Well, you might say it is addictive. Well, addictive. It's yeah. kind of it's completely harmlessly, yeah, harmlessly yeah, yeah. addictive. But I was, I don't know, I, is that what you found in bands, Alex? Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. There's there's something really irreplaceable about the about the feeling you get when you're when you're playing with when you're playing with people you really like. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a really wonderful kind of feeling. It feels very reciprocal. It feels like um, it feels you, like something. You're going to say it feels like sex. Then you nearly did that. I, 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 I haven't had sex, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> but um, it's overrated. <laughs> it, it, it feels like something that actually transcends the, what you're playing. If that makes sense, it, it's it, it's a bonding device. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of people who form bands are kind of a little bit disembodied from, um, from you know, kind of friendship groups. So they're they're a little bit outcasty, you right. know. Um, and uh, so you sort of craving some kind that kind of connection, and it's and it's a really it's a really powerful way of of receiving that connection, I suppose. Um, yeah, as I think we said before, it's not really about the music; it's about what's between. The notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an intuition, don't you think? Absolutely. It's, it's Absolutely. the kind of musical equivalent of finishing each other's sentences, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many people? It's interesting how many people we've done. Uh, we've interviewed on our birthday special uh, uh, po podcast with people who are subscribers. How many of them have been in bands and want to talk about the bands? Yeah. They've nearly all been in bands, and they've all had the same experience. That often, often those bands probably didn't even rehearse, but they existed for a while in a school playground, and everybody had a role. Everyone had an identity. The group had a name. Mm. Those things are incredibly important, I think. Yeah. I but used to look about, at... Certain, go on. What about also the business of how that feeling spreads to people who aren't in the band, who are watching and listening to the band? Well, I think part of the appeal of bands, <clears throat> fans of music, is this no notion of the gang, of this, is this notion of this secondary family that they want to be a part of. The Beatles are a prime example of that. Yeah. You know, Obviously, we all love the Beatles music, but why do we really love the Beatles? We really love the Beatles because we want to be in that gang. We want to be, you know, part of the John, Paul, George and Ringo clique 
really deep in our souls, I think, because it uh, caters to something really deep inside us. Have you ever heard, at a slight Beatles tangent, have you ever heard the outtake from the recording of Think For Yourself, which is a George Harrison song that was on, on Rubber Soul? It's no. 19 minutes long. Maybe we should post it with this. It's fantastic. And it's the four of them doing the backing vocals for this song. And all they're trying to do is just make each other laugh for 19 minutes, just wrong-footing each other, standing each other up, um, talking about... At one point, they all start doing the Woody Woodpecker theme tune. There's a bit where one of them, one of them wheels in, they start making up imaginary lyrics for a kind of Elvis Presley song. And one of them, I think it's Ringo, comes in with a lyric, lukewarm baby got a custard face. And you just think, I would give anything to be in this game. Because there they are, they're thinking, four people just thinking like one person. You know what I mean? It's yeah, that incredible yeah. intuition. And you just think, and that I think, as getting back to your point, Dave, I think as an audience member, I think some of that must spill over when you see those groups up on stage. You just feel, I feel part of this. But, I feel no, part but of don't, that group. But don't you think also, it, you know, it, it's, it might seem really kind of obvious to say it, but it's not just, it's no longer just the four individuals, is it? It's the four individuals have become something else. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the kind of growth thing that yeah, happens. There's something far because, bigger than some of that. Because parts. one of the points he makes is Robin Blackburn is that you, if you perform anything, if you go for a run with a friend, you run more, you run better. You just, you know, the two of you, without meaning to do it, just push each other a little bit like that actually I'm, i i i can i can uh, corroborate that because i did a half marathon a couple of years ago with a, with a pal of mine and um and we made a pledge to stick together for the whole thing and we did and whenever one of us was lagging we we'd just find we'd be trying to catch up yeah. with the other one who'd yeah. be keeping pace and we both got a really really good time off the back of it um but isn't but, that a lot of that to do with the fact that if you're on your own what you're preoccupied with is the race itself it's your it's how you feel physically are you tired can you cope if there's somebody with you you're thinking about often even if you're not talking you're thinking about something else you're just your thoughts are yeah, directed no, in a different way i don't know but i was like that there was at chris charlesworth i think many many years ago wrote about the who that at their best they seem to grow a fifth member yeah which I think is a really good, yeah. really good point, you know, that these things just absolutely take Completely. off. Completely. It's like football teams. something different. Yeah. Yeah, you watch uh, a football team, sometimes think they must have 12 people or 13 no. people on the pitch. How are they doing this? It's yeah. magic. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose it is this idea of this, <clears throat> this super entity being formed by the coagulation of all these. The Who was a really good example because yeah. obviously they complemented each, so, each other so well in so many different areas, musically and personally. And y y they're all weaker than the sum of their parts individually. Yeah. Um, but when they so, came together. so without being uh, too kind of dewy-eyed about this, <clears throat> there is something about a group, a kind of traditional four-piece four group, along the lines of the Beatles and loads of others, that is that it has magic at its at its heart. Absolutely, that a duo can never have. No, no, <clears throat> duo is not a gang. Yeah, it, it, I was watching. I was watching a documentary on BBC Four about Christine McVie, Christine Perfect, the other yeah. night, and I thought that really struck me. I know we've talked about it before, but there they are, Fleetwood Mac, making an album when Mick Fleetwood's just split up with his wife, and the other two four members of the group have split up with each other, and all five of them are going through these marriage breakups, and all five of them are having an unbelievably difficult time, and they still persevere. Obviously, they can see there's a commercial jackpot in it, but they still persevere. And still under all uh, what would be abnormal circumstances in any other world, 
put up with this, you know. And then she leaves the group for 15 years and comes back, and those four people are still there. What other, what other line of business would that happen in? That's the strength of that bond. And if people are going to see Fleetwood Mac, so much of it must be about the bond between them, what they've yeah. been through. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah. It's a family that lasts longer than most families. It is. It Context is. Context is everything, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, I often wonder whether the songs that I really love um, would have the same weight if there wasn't some kind of story of discontent behind them between the members, you know. Um, how much that of that influences our view of the music and our view of the band, you know. Does the music rely on the context to succeed? Or Well, I suppose, well, you know, when you get a group like Fleetwood Mac, what people are going to see is is also to witness an unfolding story, aren't they? Yeah, Which is still living going soap on. opera. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a tale. It is. go way back in time. Yeah. And God knows how long in the future, you know. So it's a slightly different thing. But I was just, I was really struck by this, this conversation with Robin Blackburn and, uh, and applying it to bands and, uh, and just the, the kind of, the idea that, uh, that you build up your friendship groups by personal contact, by, you know, facial expression, by yeah. eye contact, by touch, by those kind of things. And it's done very, very gradually over a long, long period of time. You know, you don't achieve any of those relationships overnight. They take a long time to build up. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, and you know, bands have those, have those things. So um, I, I thought it was interesting. It is. Yeah, addition to the conversation. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So Paul Simon's the latest one to sell his uh, song catalogue uh, to Sony, I think. And um, we can only speculate as to how much money he got. Who who knows? But I, ju- I just thought I just pulled out this this CD here of a Paul Simon anthology, just to run down and remind ourselves of which songs we're talking about here. Okay. What a this staggering is, this is! This is oh just my a, lord! Here we go: Sound of Silence, Cecilia, El Condor Pasa, The Boxer, Mrs. Robinson, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Me and Holio Down by the Schoolyard, Peace Like a River, Mother and Child Reunion, American Tune, Loving Like a Rock, Kodachrome, Gone at Last, Still Crazy After All These Years, Something So Right. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, Slip Sliding Away, Late in the Evening, Hearts and Bones, The Boy in the Bubble, Graceland, Under African Size, Skies, Diamonds on the Soles of His Shoes, You Can Call Me Al, Homeless, The Obvious Child, Further to Fly, She Moves On, Born at the Right Time. And that's not even all of them. Because he had, uh, did you have tri- bridge, bridge Over Troubled Water? Yes, this? I did. Oh, did? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't have a Homeward Bound here. No. And uh, and I can uh, and doesn't doesn't have Scarborough. Uh, Scarborough Fair on no. there either. <laughs> it's it's got to be worth a couple of bobbers. You would have thought so. You See, I thought... would have thought the value of that was enormous. Just I, I can't help but feel it's got value in film soundtrack. They're universal, don't you think? Sound but of they... Silence, Bridge Over Troubled Water, they're part of your emotional fabric in a very uncomplicated way. Don't you think? <laughs> the appeal of those things is absolutely gigantic. I suppose it's it's very difficult to know. I think these um I think what's driving this market at the moment is there's a lot of money looking for a place to invest. And you may as well invest in song catalogues as anything else, because you don't know what's gonna prove to be popular in future. But if you've spread it far enough, 
some songs will be, won't they? Yeah. You know, but you've got no way of predicting what they are, really, you know. And I suppose people would rather invest in song catalogues than, uh, you know, than motor manufacturer or whatever, because... But also people are selling them because they're, 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 they're unsure as to, to, what, to whether or not they'll be making that amount of money in 10 years' time or whatever. Well, they, well in, the song in 10 years' time, they won't be here, will they? I mean, Yeah, you know, true, most, but, uh, most... but I, I can't help but feel if you sold a song catalogue, you'd really miss it. You'd really miss that involvement. I saw a mate of mine the other day who's a, a, an author and has been writing books for, for 50 years, and she looks back at her credits, her publishing uh, you know, uh, um, statements when they come through, with fascination to see which of her books are still selling. Right. And I, I think you've become very interested in that. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd miss that whole thing of seeing how your various songs that you wrote back in the day were performing. Don't you I think may, you just, but maybe. then again, you've had a massive, great wedge of cash. <laughs> Absolutely. Very attractive. You know? Very large wedge of cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're looking at that clip of uh, Paul Simon on the Dick Cavett show in the early 70s explaining to Dick Cavett how he wrote um, Bridge, Bridge Over, over Trouble Water. Water, which he's quite open about the fact that, oh, I got I got the basic tune, was it from a bark chorale? I it's think a it bark chorale. The first tune, it's da 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 That's from bark chorale. He nicks the entire thing, doesn't he? And then I think he finds a gospel song and takes the entire sequence of gospel chords and plays them all. And then, as if he hasn't done enough, steals the lyric, doesn't he, from a scat singer. He's watching a scat singer, and this guy talks about being a, a, a singing about a will be your bridge over deep water. And he just says, I'll have that. So what he's actually saying is that every single component of that song, he kind of stole. But you can't help but think that the creativity is in just having the, the invention and the imagination to see that those things would work together. It's not inventing them in the first place, don't you think? I it's, think that's it's absolutely compiling those components, you know. Because I could sit there with a guitar, you know, and I know four chords on a guitar. You guys know a lot more. I could sit there with five. In my which case, four, you can play hundreds of songs. Okay. Yeah. But I would never be able to play any of them because I don't have the talent. You know what I mean? Because I don't. I wouldn't recognise the patterns. I wouldn't know how to move from what I've got to what's next. Whereas if you put me to do something similar with words, I can kind of do it. Yeah. You know, because I think that's... People talk a lot about creativity. Personally, I think there's a lot of hoo-ha talked about creativity. But I think one of the key issues is, is can you as a listener or a reader or a viewer of a painting go from your experience of looking at it, listening to it, reading it, to kind of working out how it was done and then going back behind it and, and, you know, working it from the other side. Yeah. That seems to me the core creative act in, you know, at work in something like Paul Simon's writing Bridge Over Troubled Water. It's knowing all those elements and then being able to hear beyond them. Exactly. And to make that leap into yeah. making it something that, that well, sounds utterly original. Wasn't that what the Beatles essentially were doing in Hamburg? They were playing all the hit songs of the day and effectively getting inside them, reverse engineering them to be able to make... Oh, I think, I think there's no doubt. I mean, yeah. I mean, not just in Hamburg, I think... I mean, they went to, you know, they went to the, the record shop and they heard every new record and the B-side yeah. and would work out how to play them. Now, that, that, much, that much work under the bonnet has to teach you a lot about, 
about how you can how you can take your your own stuff forward. And they would write in very specific uh, where John Lennon sat down and said, "I will now write a song like Arthur Alexander." You know, and wrote yeah. all I've got to do. And this yeah. boy, and yes, it is. Whether or not he nicked bits of melody from Arthur Alexander or chord sequences, or whatever, I don't know. But he wanted to do it as a pastiche. Yeah. Alexander. So yeah. that's how he did it. Yeah. Creativity is the ability to re- reverse engineer, isn't it? Because, you know, you get so many players who, who are readers who absolutely flip out when they're asked to jam because because the, the, the wiring is completely different. Yeah. Um, but if you act, if you actively, um, you know, seek out a piece of art you like and deconstruct it yourself and figure out how it works, um, you're, you're more predisposed, I think, to um, to being able to put it back together in in, in your own way. Yeah. But you've got to have the technical skills. I think this is, you know, this is, I, I have this argument with my wife all the time as a teacher. And, you know, teachers have to teach creative writing. I say, I'm not, I'm not a clue what it means. What does that mean, creative writing? If somebody asked me to sit down and say, be imaginative, go wild, I'd be completely lost. Whereas if somebody said, all right, write a, write a story about this, about yeah. that tree down there, or what happened to you last Tuesday? You can do that, yeah, because, yeah, because it's very specific, you know. Yeah. Whereas the idea that, um, you know, that that creativity comes with not being encumbered with technique is nonsense. No, it's not. Really. See, you you got to have the technique, haven't you? Completely. Completely. To be able to be able to move on, which is and where Paul, <coughs> Paul Simon is a master of technique, well, isn't it? No, well, songwriters it's also to do with the sheer quantity of songs that they know. That that when yeah. you've got when you've got to a point in the song and are not sure where to go, you're playing that chord. You must either consciously or unconsciously think of millions of options that you already know because yes. the Small Faces did this and the, the Beach Boys did this, and uh, you know all those. So you can see why it must be so easy to produce songs that sound extraordinarily like other ones, whether consciously or unconsciously. I'd suggest, though, that creativity isn't reliant on technique, but is reliant on on imagination. And, you know, um, Johnny Ramone, for example, couldn't play a minor chord, didn't know what one was. But I mean, how many albums did they did they put out? I think it's it, you're you're only limited by by the limits of, of, of your ability to imagine what you can do with what you've got. Rather than, but that was just a that's him. That's a statement by him. That's a position he'd taken up. Was he? <laughs> I, I mean, suppose, but I, I I don't think you really. I don't think technique really governs your ability to create. You know, as, as long as you understand that you can do something with what you've got, um, you can essentially. I know that sounds a bit airy fairy, but um, I, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that you you need to necessarily be able to do something really well to be able to do something meaningful with 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 your within within your limitations. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really. It's um the the um I think a lot of it is just being able to do small things. If you can do small things, you can build them up slowly into bigger things. But the idea of I I, I always think nothing makes your nothing intimidates people more than being told, let your imagination run wild. Because everybody thinks, well, have I got one? <laughs> yeah. Whereas that's that's just too big a thing. Whereas, you know, design a little pop song that's three minutes long or, yeah. or, or write a short chapter in a book that leads to another chapter, you can kind of do that. It's small things. And I often think people, and it's a bit of a generalisation, you know, I think people who who 
don't understand creativity always think it's about the big thing. I don't think it ever is about the big thing. I think it's about the little thing. No, it's about technique, I think, a lot of the time. I think it is. Yeah, it really and, is. And, and being able to move forward. Right? So yeah. anyway, it's really interesting to see that Dick Cavett uh, Clipperpool. And song. I love the fact he's so honest about it as well. Because yeah. most people would say, oh, I just kind of, it all came to me. And but he goes through and say, no, this was all stolen and assembled in this way. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what that's what those legal cases have to work out all the time. Did George Harrison kind of sit down and listen to He's So Fine and think, I'm going to write a song based on those chords? Or was that something he just heard a while back and just sort of, I don't know, did, 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 in his unconscious? I mean, anyway, while Paul Simon's in the news... Um, Bloke uh, on the on the NBC News site got enormous traffic yesterday by writing a, quite a short piece about a bit of a bitchy piece about Paul Simon, really. But but basically, the thrust of what he said was Paul Simon will not be remembered in the future. Uh, certainly not compared to the Beatles and Bob Dylan. But by the future, he meant 200 years, didn't he? He said specifically okay. 200 years. But, I mean, that it's still chilling, didn't you think? I thought it was a bit mean to Paul Simon. Very but, mean. But, but I think the bigger point is, who knows what be, will be remembered, you know, in, in, in 50, 100, 150 years' time? Because, you know, how much of what would... You know, we've no way of knowing what we will be remembered because we're going to have nothing to compare it with. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because, you know, there was no, there's no history of recorded sound before 100 years ago. Yeah. Is there? You know what I mean? So, you know, the, the music of, of the 19th century and the 18th century is remembered because it was written down. You know, we talk about formal classical music, really, but but anything else that people were listening to, we've no real way of knowing whether it's... And also, a lot of it's, I, th I think a lot of the appeal of music 200 years ago is that um, 
there are no lyrics a lot of the time. They're mostly it's mostly instrumental music that people listen to, which doesn't tie it to a specific time. Yeah. You don't listen to Mendelssohn's E minor violin concerto and think, I am being transported back to 1840. Do you? <laughs> the good old days. That's right. We were happy then. Yeah, exactly. No Brexit. Oh, it's lovely. Really good. No, I think I think that's a difference. And that's an interesting thing as to whether or not in the future you will associate. Joni Mitchell or Leonard Cohen or whatever, with a particular period in time? Or will it be timeless? I like to think that Paul Simon songs are already timeless. He makes the point, actually, in that article that, that there are people already fading out of view, and he mentions Neil Young. I thought, that's true, actually. I felt that was true. Neil Young, partly because he's not in the frame and he's not active, he's not in any way front of mind, seems to be very slightly receding from my awareness. I, I, I thought that was an odd example, really, because I thought... Neil Young, you know, Neil Young's quite hot stuff still nowadays. Stephen Stills is not. No, that's true. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Graham Nash is not. Neil yeah. Young still is, oddly, you know, because yeah. there's kind of classic rock and it's chic and all those kind of things. But I think I think it's interesting to reflect. If you look at the pop, even at the pop music of the 20th century, you know, and the pop music of the recording era. Yeah, how many people we've already forgotten? How many people we have already forgotten? I mean, you know, Bing Crosby. Yeah. Bing Crosby as big as the Beatles. Yeah. In an era before the Beatles. What does anybody know of Bing Crosby nowadays? White Christmas. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go any further than that. Great artists, did loads of fantastic things. Roads are really interesting things, loads are really ahead of the time yeah. things. Everybody's forgotten about it completely because he's kind of not fashionable. Whereas yeah, somebody yeah. slightly later, Frank Sinatra, still quite hot. Yeah, he is. Partly because he's chic somehow. He's kind of eternally, he's eternally cool, yeah. isn't he? You know. There are everyone... certain groups I can imagine. Queen's a good example. Um, Elton John, Led Zeppelin, brilliant commercial practice practitioners of a, of a particular type of music. I can imagine that receding slightly. I can imagine Charlie Parker, Miles Davis and Duke Ellington, for the reason I was talking about earlier, that it's mostly instrumental, yeah. lasting a bit longer. But, I mean, what would be heartbreaking to me is the idea that the main architects uh, of, of, of popular music would, would, would disappear from, from anybody's kind of awareness. Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, Frank Stone, Elvis Presley, you know, um, Buddy Holly, The Stones... Little Richard, Everly Brothers, Chuck Berry, Beach Boys, James Brown. I don't know. There's those kind of people. You can't imagine that they would ever disappear. But I well, guess... except I've written down a list here of people slightly earlier who I think have disappeared. Yeah. Caruso. Yeah. The first yeah. great, first great recording star, Caruso. Yeah. Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman, absolutely enormous in he the forties. Johnny Ray. Yeah, enormous, he was. completely yeah. forgotten. Somebody we were talking about only yesterday with a with a, a birthday patron, uh, Harry Belafonte. Yeah, you might laugh now. No, he was massive. Three the Beatles, Harry bon Belafonte, he was massive. massive. Jim Reeves. Yeah, Jim Reeves, absolutely huge. Nobody talks about Jim Reeves. Al Jolson. Yeah. Rudy Valley, Maurice Chevalier, all yeah. these people, completely forgotten. Now, who's to say they might not re-emerge in some shape or form? Something gets taken up by a TV ad or a movie soundtrack or God knows what. But, you know, it, it's not a case that you can guarantee 
that in 40 years time people will be talking about the Beatles I don't know if, I don't know if they will it'll depend what happens with music and yeah, it depends if you listen to music in the same way. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Will we still be at home wanting some kind of background music? Will we will be listening to music when we travel? Will we? Will it all come from advertising or from electronic devices? Or we've got absolutely no idea. You no know, idea. So the idea that uh, you know that we worked out the canon as it is right now, and only these bits of it will be remembered. It doesn't work like that. They may. The future may throw away our canon altogether. Yeah. And replace it with a totally different one. You know. Yeah. Who's to say? I don't know, Alex. Do you? This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So, Alex, you pointed out to me the other day that you'd spent the entire period during lockdown wearing, uh, I won't say the same jeans and T-shirt that you always wear, but basically... Wearing the rock and roll uniform of a black T-shirt, black jeans, black shoes, black accessories, and so forth, while relying on uh, on uh, making up any any thermal shortfall by cranking up the electric heating behind you, at, at enormous cost to the planet. But you know you're not bothered about that at all because you are so attached. Now, what I wanted to talk about. You're so attached to this basic uniform that you have worn since leaving school, pretty much. And, and it struck I think I've been thinking about this ever since. And, and it struck me that this is the uniform of, uh, of undernourished young blokes with guitars, isn't it? Yeah. Basically how it works. It says, I'm in a band, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, what are the, what are, tell us the basic rules about the uniform. What, what are the... What are the constituent parts? You know, where uh, can you buy them? You know, what kind of thou shalt goes into your black. personal style? Go on. <laughs> thou shalt always buy your skinny threads from Top Man. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Top thou shalt wear uh, Chuck Taylors or Cuban heels where possible. What's um, Chuck Taylors? Come on, I want Converse, to know. Converse, 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 uh, basketball sneakers. Uh, yeah. I was saying. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Um, uh, colourful socks are allowed. So, uh, for example, I've let's got see him. Okay, so that's oh, your only okay. their only dash of self-expression, really. Yeah, uh, I've various um, pairs of unicorn socks as well. Um, I'm feeling particularly fruity, but um, you're, you're allowed colour on the sock, um, but elsewhere isn't really acceptable. Oh, right. have to, you know, make it clear that you, you know you're 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 wearing black for the working man. Um, right. You know, I know. What about jackets and and kind of outerwear and so uh, Tiny leather jackets, the smaller the better, preferably. Um, the tighter fitting. So will... I'm going to say they've got to be really uncomfortable and impractical, haven't they? No, they're not. They're really. It's like wearing a hug. It's like it's like you're putting a hug onto yourself. Actually, quite. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got this. I've got two actually. I've got two uh, leather, well, faux leather jackets. Um, and I think they're they're size six or eight, like really really tiny. Have you got them there? Have I've you got, got them I've within got reach? Here, actually, I'm going to go on. I want to see this. Oh, is the jacket? The jacket is so small. The only thing you can do is play the guitar in. You couldn't chop a tree down or anything like that. This is couldn't... a Zara number. All right. If I flip it on. I'm going to move my chair. Ugh. Okay. So as you can see, is that a girl's jacket, Magic, <laughs> or is that a bloke's jacket? A girl's jacket. 
No, it is a girl's jacket. So that's that's my that's my waist there. This yeah. jacket sits very very definitely well, a couple of inches above the waist. That's amazing. It's kind of nice though. Well, when it's warm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's so good. Yeah. So where did the concept of? Because I've got a theory. Well, it's not my theory. It's somebody else's. Theory. Where did the concept of black, meaning uh, outlaw, rebel? Renegade, gun for hire. Because that's partly the reason you're wearing it, isn't it? It's the, it's the rock and roll thing. Where did that concept oh, come from? Y- you know me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, when I interviewed Keith Richards for Word, he had a really good point. He was talking about it being the anti-Beatles. That was their image, you know. And he said the Beatles had the white hat. And they're already wearing the white hat, meaning the cowboy hat. He said the only, the only hat left was the black hat. And that's the hat we wore. And we talked about that. <coughs> His theory was that it was the Western movie that invented the idea of black and white. Oh, that's good. I point. thought that is brilliant because I couldn't think of anything before that. That's a really good point. It's really good, isn't it? Because the, the, the villains the wear black. Villains wear black. In, villains in wear black. Because the good guy, it? up until that point, the good guy always wore, well, in, in those films, always wears white. And the and the, the Lee Van Cleef his hat character. is his hat and is his white. hat is black. That's the important thing. I, I, his I'd, ha- I'd have to I'd, I'd have to go back and look at High Noon. Um, by God, because there's he has to you know the gunmen are coming into town, aren't they, to yeah. kill him? And uh, they must be wearing old black. I'm I sure had they not are. Thought of that. And his but, theory was that that's where that concept came from. So if you look, say Pat Boone is a white concept. Pat Boone was, yeah. you know, it always was, nearly always wore white, actually. And he's wholesome and he's, uh, you know, he's acceptable and he's uh, family friendly. Yeah. But, you know, Johnny Cash or Roy Orbison, really good. Roy Orbison, really good example, actually, because he wasn't kind of yeah. rebellious in the in the old-fashioned way. He he was, I think the word would be damaged. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to look at Roy Orbison and think, something's happened to this guy. Has and it, it had, and my it had. God, it did, my God. Yeah, yeah. Two of his kids die in a house. Oh, it's terrible. Awful, awful, awful. But anyway, so the bad things. So I thought that was a really good point. So that was Keith Richards' theory, that the, 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 the cowboy movie invented that black and white theory. And the cowboy movie invented so many things about rock and roll. That's a really interesting yeah, way of looking. Yeah, the idea of the lone gunslinger, didn't it? The, yeah. Uh, you know, you know. But, but then it's only... I know what you mean, and there, there's a long kind of history of black in popular music. But it's only probably in the last 30 years, maybe a bit more, that you've been able to get on the tube in London and know that during your journey, decent journey, half an hour, one person, at least one person, will get on that tube who will be dressed just like Alex is. Yeah. And they'll either be carrying a guitar or you'll be pretty certain that they're on their way to, so pick, to pick up a guitar up. somewhere. You know. they, 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 there are thousands of these people, tens yeah. of thousands of these people in and London. And they'll give you that slightly pitying, slightly <laughs> condescending look, as you just say, you tragic wage slave. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, tied to your little <laughs> suburban life yeah. and your pathetic job. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be late for work, mate. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a maverick. I can't be tamed. I can't be rubber stamped. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on my way to drink a, you know, a half pint of cider yeah. somewhere. <laughs> while, while play smoke like on the water. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you, oh, do you, and you must do this, Alex. You know, in normal times when you get on the tube or the train or whatever, you must come across kindred spirits. And you must 
exchange knowing glances. What, you, you mean like the you mean like the white van club? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Just, yeah, just give each other little 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 nods, subtle little what respect. No, yeah. I, no, actually, because uh, I, I mean, there's loads of them now. There's, they're everywhere. And oh, they're, they're, they're dead common now, are they? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, when, when when I started doing it, when we started doing it, there were there were very few of us people about. I think that was the appeal. You know, it was it was like a little sort of um, it's like a branch off from society. You know, it was it was it was it was our little club. You know, our kind, our little tribe. Um, but I think you know, Top Man kind of monopolised. Um, or capitalised on that market, and it's oh, did they? Yeah, I, I, indie chic. I don't think it's particularly reserved for the tribe anymore. That's the thing. And interestingly, I, int- musicians of the of the latest generation who are coming through, they tend to be very, very colourful. And I and I think that's because that you know, when when I was forming bands in school, at least um, there was there was an element of 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 anti-establishment in it. You know, trying to get away from having a normal life and. Um, you know, being being sort of separate to uh, to the rest of society. I don't think kids these days have the same desire, really. I don't think there's any sort of counter countercultural motivation for musicians making music in 2020, 2021. Uh, and thus there is very little need for black. Oh well. Maybe. Well you might be you might be right for you know for reasons similar to those that Gary Kemp uh, you know indicated um, as we were mentioning earlier. That it's uh, it's not about setting it's not about it's not about going anywhere anymore, is it? It's no. not about it's not ma- about making an entrance any yeah, longer, yeah. you know, and having people, you know, because I suppose that's the way you used to use to communicate with people, wasn't it? You you turned up in a pub in Sirencester, and as soon as you went in the door, it was clear who you were, wasn't it? You know, and what you like. This type. Yeah, I belong. Yeah. I belong to that group. Whereas you don't do it anymore. Tell you the other thing that's throwing me about it <clears throat> is it's not just it's not just music. It's a certain kind of music. It indicates, isn't it? It indicates guitars, amplifiers, and drums, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's, it doesn't indicate keyboards. It doesn't indicate I don't know the Chemical Brothers or the Pet Shop Boys or. Any of their many. No, it's old fashioned rock and roll. Rock bands. It is. It's about attitude, isn't it? (laughs) About what you represent. It's it's a subculture thing. And I would argue that indie is probably the last British musical subculture. Um, And that, you know, everybody's a little bit of everything these days, which is great, Um, which is absolutely fantastic. But, you you know, um, in, in days gone by, you were one thing or you were another. And the indie thing kind of went on until the, the mid to late noughties, I suppose. And I can't think of anything in particular, any particular single movement that happened after that. So what we're, what we're seeing is that is the, the last dregs of... <laughs> you are, you are, the, dregs of the, you the, are the, teddy, the teddy boys of, of our time. That's, um, you know... I mean, well, the Teddy Boys still were around in the '60s, weren't they? And even in the early '70s, yeah. And they just, they just kind of faded away. I'm they? basically yeah. that the embodiment of that Japanese soldier that was found 60 years. There after you the go. War. <laughs> still fighting the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. living in the, in the in the jungle. Didn't realize the war was over. That's it. It's over, Alex. It's over. In That's the... brilliant. That's brilliant. It's, it's over. <laughs> You're not going to get your letter from John Peel. You know. Did your detectives on in the chart? <laughs> <laughs> Talking of letters, we must mention 
Have we got time to mention oh, the... Have oh, we got fantastic. time? It's a podcast, Mark. It's a podcast, precisely. There was this brilliant uh, letter that's been... It's been all over the internet and uh, all over Twitter, you know. It's the it's the rejection letter, supposedly from Polydor Records, to uh, Brian Ferry, isn't it? Uh, yeah. On the 30th of June, 1971, and on the Polydor um, letter-headed paper from their office in Stratford Place... Basically saying we're not offering you a contract and uh, your music is, is, is too experimental and freeform to have a hope of attracting enough public attention to enter the musical charts. The main instruments seem completely played, com- sorry, competently played, but the songwriting sometimes lacks the focus with, uh, which a more co- conventional structure would provide. The electronic sounds are interesting, but fall, fall short of the musicality of Walter Carlos, for example. It's a lovely bit at the end. He says, the lyrics sound promising in places, but the lead vocals, in the words of one respected member of my department, tend to sound, and to put one in mind, of Frankie Vaughan locked in a haunted house. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it is a fake, isn't it? I think we have to agree. It's a fake, well, the idea, the idea, first of all, that any record company has ever written so long a rejection letter for anything. They would, not, they would simply say not, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for It's not a hard kind of It thing. makes it worse apologising for yeah. <laughs> And also the, the idea, also the idea is a very modern idea that, that the qualities of Roxy music were so plain to everybody that only a company so out of touch as Polydor could possibly have turned them down, yeah. which is nonsense. You know what I mean? You know, Roxy Music were made it by luck. You know, they had they had the right kind of management, the right kind of financing. Ireland records weren't even sure about signing them, you know. No, 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 absolutely. They were not a commercial prospect at all. Absolutely not. It required a huge leap of faith and imagination. Actually, boringly, I think there are another two giveaways on this thing. I don't think they were called Roxy Music. (laughs) No, they weren't. On June the 30th, 1971, I think they were called Roxy. Well, they weren't called Roxy. There was a Canadian group called Roxy and they had to change their name. Yeah, not until November of that year. And also at the end, the the guy says, uh, to reward your interest in our company, I enclose a complimentary cassette of James Last Lake hit album for Polydor, Poker Party. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, that would never have happened. And B, actually, Poker Party, boringly, that didn't come out till the end of the year, too, oh, so right. it didn't exist. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I do I do think these things are fantastic, you know, because the amount of work and effort that went into making that look plausible. There was one about the Beatles. Do you remember? That's what started, I think. There was one two, two or three years ago. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's the Royal Albert Hall writing to Brian Epstein. Oh, again, you know, letter-headed paper, completely convincing, saying that they're upset about the, his new album, the, the band's new album, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, because it has a, uh, a song on it which alludes to there being holes, 4,000 holes in the Albert Hall. They're concerned wow. about this, you know, the, 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 the reputation of the place as being safe to, 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 to enter and, and, and go to a concert in. And there's a fake letter from John Lennon writing back to him. And they're really, really convincing and really funny, but it's not true. It's not true. No, no. But it set me to thinking about um, people always think it's terrible when record companies pass on things or reject things or or don't renew people's contracts or whatever. Yeah. I take the opposite view. I think it's almost always a good thing Can when we? they because what I've found in life is people don't like to say yes, but they don't like to say no either. You know. What they what they like to do is just keep the options open as long yeah. as they possibly can. Whereas if Polydor if if Polydor had been faced by the real Roxy music, and if Polydor had decided that they didn't want Roxy music, that's completely fine. 
because it would have been in Roxy Music's interest to go somewhere else where people wanted them. And it would have been in Polydor's interest to carry on doing what Polydor did. Yeah, it would have been the wrong people to sign them in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it, it, a lot of time in life will be saved by people being prepared to say no earlier on. And I think, uh, I think people are really unwilling to say it because it seems so anti-creative and all this kind of thing, you know. I was very struck by, uh, was it? Is it Philip Roth? I can't remember. Um, I think it's Philip Roth, the novelist. He used to go for a used to go for a cup of coffee in, a, in the same place in New York every every morning. And the the waiter, one of the waiters there, was a guy writing a novel, young guy writing a novel. And he he finally got up his 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 courage and said, "Mr. Roth." Here's my novel. I wonder if you mind reading it, his manuscript, or whatever. And Roth said, sit down, sit down. <laughs> I pretty much said, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't embark on this life. You will not make yourself any happier. It won't work. You know, stop it and go and do something else. Which, you know, some people interpret it as a, a terribly callous way that to go seems on. seems incredibly harsh. I mean, never read a but, word of it. It could have been a work of genius, but, you know. Okay, okay. what's but, the but chances? What, of course, what 99% are the chances? of the time, precisely. Okay, and here's the point. If it was a work of genius, what Philip Roth had to say about it wouldn't matter one way or another because it would find some other way of yeah. getting there, wouldn't it? Yeah. And so... So, but the truth is that somebody sat down and written a novel. It will not be very rarely does anybody's first novel in that form ever get published. What they do is reject that, or someone rejects it, and they write another and another and another, and they're fourth. By the time they've written their fourth, they've maybe. understood what a novel involves. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's true. You've maybe got to admit this again. Sorry, it's a slight Beatles tangent again, actually. But the Beatles with, with Derek Rowe, you know, um, you Dick know, Rowe, yeah. Sorry, Dick Rowe, right? Derek Rowe, um, being being turned down in in whatever it was, nineteen sixty two. I mean, you know, why right not? Thing. Why right not? Thing. They were playing Three Cool Cats, Besame Mucho. Um, you know, and also, playing... also Decker would have screwed them up completely yeah. the wrong place. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I think rejection is always good for the soul. It that's is. why I think. It is. Would, Lady Gaga it... was signed to Def Jam, I think, for a year, and they did absolutely nothing with her at all. And it's the idea that they did nothing with her and then just let her go was part of the reason she had such a kind of such motivation to go out and make it, you know. Yeah. <coughs> it's good for you. It's like relationships. Everybody okay. in life should be dumped. At some stage <laughs> of their life, they should be dumped. Don't you think? People who've never been dumped are not fully formed characters. I've never met anybody who's never been dumped. No, I know. Very rarely. I know two or three. I don't think it's good for them. No, no. I think you need true. to be prepared for things going wrong in life. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I'd agree. I think with with you know with creators, there's there's a there's a very uh, real tendency to get trapped in this fantasy version of who you think you are, um, and being rejected, I think, brings you back to what's actually required to make what you're doing any good. So um, yes, I would I would wholeheartedly agree. I think Laurence Olivier said to people who said, "Should I be an actor?" I think he used to say, "Well, if you want to be an actor, you will be an actor." And if you're not an actor, you didn't want it enough. Because most actors are don't do any acting, they're out of work actors, but they but they're so devoted to it, that's what they're prepared to do. 
So, so didn't you feel that when, when we were in magazines, you and I were asked all the time by people wanting to, to write for magazines, you know, and oh, I, 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 I kind of like to write reviews, you know, and you'd say, well, what have you written so far? I said, well, no, I just, I haven't written it actually. I thought, I'd, and my, I used to say, well, you know, the people who tend to be writers, successful writers, the ones who write, they write, they start about the age of eight, Education. writing little short stories, you know, and then by the age of 10, they're, they're compiling a diary or whatever, and they're writing all the time. They're yeah. compelled to write and they're compelled also to read. You'd say, well, which, you know, which authors do you like? And they go, well, I don't read that much. I'm trying to keep my style original. I don't want to be in two <laughs> yes. You'd say, what? You know, the whole point is read as much as is humanly possible and absorb the good stuff and reject what you don't like. But yeah. just for God's sake. It's like songwriters saying, I think I might do a bit of songwriting. Well, you'd know if you're a songwriter. Yeah. We were, I mean, that really interesting conversation with Gary Kemp the other day. Yes, Gary Kemp writing songs, wasn't he, when he was about seven or eight? He got a Burt Whedon songbook. Yeah. It was really interesting, actually. And he learned all these chords, but he didn't like the songs that the chords were yeah. the chords to. So he wrote his own words. And then eventually, uh, I, think he, I think he told us that he wrote True was based on two things, wasn't it? it was, one was I Dig a Pony. Dig a Pony by the Beatles. Because it starts, ah, 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 That's a really good idea. You take the word I and you can sing it several times, you know. Yeah. And because uh, True starts with ah, 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 whatever it is. Yeah, you know. yeah. And he said he then took the chords to If I Had a Hammer. So he took the I Had a Hammer and, and I Dig a Pony and somehow managed to synthesise True. Good work. That's very, very interesting. I think If I Had a Hammer was also, if, I, if I'm remembering right, was in his Burt Whedon Plain a Day book. Wasn't it was. It, it was. That's where he got it from. Fantastic. Well, it's a really good, uh, really good uh, word of your ethic, which we recorded with him last week, which will be out with you very soon. Uh, what else we got coming up, Alex? We've got on Thursday night... A Crowdcast. A Crowdcast. Event. Oh, yeah, we uh, have. Uh, yeah, which, if but, you're a patron... Oh, about the fall. Yes. The um, while we yeah. record, yeah, uh, and that's uh, about the fall book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, what else have we got? Really we good. got it's coming up with... with Bob Stanley and Tessa Norton. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's a book about the fall called Excavate. Very so, if you're keen on the fall, join us on Thursday evening if you're a Patreon supporter. And we're uh, talking to the two guys from the Nothing Is Real Beatles podcast tomorrow morning too. Tomorrow, yeah, so that'll, that'll, be that'll, that'll be with yeah. you later in the week, and then. Usual uh, Friday night quiz, uh, back on Friday nights, uh, 6 o'clock, and uh, do join us for that. And uh, if you're looking for a way to get involved further, go to patreon.com slash word in your ear. We have details. Do we? Uh, do we have new patrons? Okay, we well, let's Come welcome on. the board. Yeah. Come on, pipe them in. Okay, hearty welcome to Chuck Lonson, who... Uh, oh, we talked to him only yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely guy. In Savannah, Georgia. Indeed. Yeah. Michael Cole. Michael Cole. Welcome hello, aboard. Michael. Graham Crossley. Graham, Hurrah. hello, Graham. Stuart Hanscombe. Stuart Hanscombe also. I You're see. very welcome. Richard Lyons. <laughs> Richard Lyons, hello, Richard. Have some peanuts, have a glass of ale. <laughs> <laughs> Join the party. Have you, have you met the major? <laughs> Wallace Dobbin. Wallace, Wallace Dobbin, fine name. name. Fine name, Wallace. And Kevin Stark. Also, Superb. Kevin. Nice to see you Extremely all. Extremely welcome. And uh, join the fun. This podcast was brought to you by The Word.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.